going to be in the book of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. You can go ahead and turn there if you brought your Bibles with you. Uh, If not, uh, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. So, before we begin this morning, I have a curious question. How many of you are planning on going outside at some point tomorrow during the eclipse to try to catch a view? Anybody? Okay, a lot of you. Uh, Don't look directly at it. You've been told that already, but uh, let that be a PSA from First Baptist Church Grandview. Uh, Don't stare directly into the solar eclipse tomorrow. Um, But hopefully you plan on on getting a view of it somehow. I know in our modern technological age, there will be a live stream, I'm sure, online through something uh, where somebody in the 100% path uh, will be showing it. Uh, I know a couple of you I I talked to are going to be traveling on business, going to be a little closer, so that's kind of cool to see the actual eclipse. Um, whatever you're going to do tomorrow, you're not going to have as good of a time as some other people. Because I actually found this this morning. Uh, I was looking at, at, at Facebook, of course, and I, and I found an article about a Royal Caribbean cruise called the Total Eclipse Cruise. And they're going to be in the 100% path. Not only that, Bonnie Tyler is going to be on the cruise and will be singing Total Eclipse of the Heart while the eclipse is happening. Isn't that so 2017 of us to do something like that? Um, Anyway, I I hope that you plan on seeing that in in some way. It's a cool event, and it's awesome to me uh, just to seek God's creation in that way, that God's creation is so orderly that it can be predicted to the second when these things are going to happen, where they're going to happen. I was also looking, and in 2024, there's going to be another total solar eclipse, and we in, in DFW are actually going to be in the primetime spot uh, to see it then. And it's exciting, and it's amazing to think about the bigness of it all, and, and yet the timing of it all, and that God has all of this under control. But if you're not able to get to see the eclipse tomorrow, maybe it'll be cloudy or something, they, Time Magazine has this app on their uh, not app, but this uh, thing on their website, a widget, I guess, and it, it shows you what, it will, what the eclipse will look like from different parts of the country. So I'm going to show you a few pictures of those. The first of those is their approximation of what it's going to look like in Grandview at the, time, at the peak time tomorrow in Grandview, Texas. That's about what the eclipse should look like. So that's kind of from the southern spot. Um, the next one is a place, Goreville, Illinois, I think. Uh, that's supposed to be the prime spot in the country. Uh, it's going to be a total eclipse as well as maybe one of the longest periods where it's total eclipsed. That's in Goreville, Illinois. And then if you go to like the, the most northeastern point I could find, Bangor, Maine, that's about what it's going to look like there. And so it's the same event happening throughout, you know, across the world, outside of the world really, but it's the same event that's happening where the moon passes between the earth and the sun to such a way that it gives that shadow on us on the earth. But depending upon where you're looking at it from, it's going to look a little different. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can really fully appreciate it unless you can view it from all of the different perspectives. And that's one of the awesome things about our culture today is that tomorrow after this is all over, tomorrow evening, the evening news and on, online, social media, all the news websites and all that good stuff, you're going to be able to see it from several different angles. I couldn't find any angles outside of the United States that had that sort of picture, but you're going to be able to see it from all over the world as to what it looked like in different locations. And really, all perspectives are needed to get the complete picture, to see it from everybody's angle. You know, we kind of see the same thing in Scripture as well. If you take the gospel of Jesus Christ, for instance, the gospel of Jesus Christ is one singular story, but in Scripture, we have four versions of it. 
And they're not versions as in they counteract or contradict one another. They kind of add to each other. But it's four different guys writing from four different perspectives about the same set of events. And if you read that, you see it, especially in events that they all describe. Take the crucifixion, for instance. Every single one of the gospel writers writes about the crucifixion. And around Easter, a lot of times pastors, and I've done this before, or you'll see a Bible study written on the seven last words of Christ or the seven words from the cross that Jesus uttered while he was on the cross being crucified. Those are taken not from one gospel, but from looking at all four of the gospels and trying to figure out exactly what Jesus said. You'll know in Matthew and Mark, or it's Mark and Luke, I can't remember, uh, that Jesus says, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That shows the depth of sin that Jesus was bearing and, and God's perfection and being separated that and, and Jesus bearing our shame on the cross and what it, what it means to be separated from God because of our sinfulness. But then in the book of John, in John chapter 19, 26, and 27, you see Jesus, while he is on the cross, look down and see John the apostle and his mother. John's the only one that writes this because John was there to actually witness it. And Jesus tells John that Mary, Jesus' mom, here is your mother, he says to John. And he says to Mary about John, here is your son. And that shows us that a, 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 another perspective of Jesus, that even while he was undergoing unimaginable pain, unimaginable guilt and shame that came with sin and death, that even while he was going through that, he still cared about his earthly relationships enough to make sure that his mom was taken care of. And now, well, we would have the entire story of Jesus if we just had Matthew. I say the entire story. We would have what we needed to be saved if we just had the gospel of Matthew, if we just had that version of the story. But there is part of the story that we would miss if we didn't have God's, John's gospel, a perspective that perhaps we would be missing and perhaps our understanding of the gospel would be smaller if we didn't have that part of the picture. You see, from the gospel's perspective, each part of that picture is necessary. So this morning, we're going to start a small sermon series, just two weeks talking about how we is greater than me, how unity is essential in the Christian body today. And we're going to camp out on this idea this morning, is that God is more fully seen when we see him through the eyes of another. And we're going to look at how God created it that way from the very beginning. So again, if you brought your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. I left my Bible sitting beside my lovely wife, so I'm going to grab it real quick. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and we'll see how God, from the very beginning, created us to be a people of multiple perspectives. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first thing we have to notice about creation is that God creates as a Trinitarian God. As a God being three persons in one. 
It says it in verse 26. God looks at creation as it is to this point in Genesis chapter 1. And his response is at this point, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, scholars have long debated exactly why God uses the plural in this, but one the, the solution that I identify with the most and that I like the most as far as the testimony of all of Scripture is that God is speaking in the Trinitarian sense of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God creates out of this. And so when God creates man and woman out of our image, he is speaking from that plurality, a God who is diverse, a God who is made up of three distinct persons while also one unified Godhead. Think about this for a second. The Trinity is one of the hardest things to really get our mind around in Scripture in that the moment you describe it, you, you fail to describe it. Uh, we always use metaphors and things like that, and metaphors are, are helpful at helping us understand certain parts of the Trinity, but all of them fall short in some way. And so just looking at the truth of what the Trinity is, is we have God, again, pre- presented in Scripture as in, in, in three distinct persons, each of which acts in the world in a unique manner. That we have God the Father, who acts in a sovereign sense. You see this God as the creator. You see this God as the one who is the ultimate judge. Uh, This is the way this God interacts with the world. When we talk about God the Father, we talk about these aspects of God. Then we see God the Son. And when we talk about God the Son, we have an actual flesh-covered person in mind named Jesus Christ who came to be the sacrifice, the substitute, as we talked about in 1 John, the propitiation, that's the word that John used, for our sins, to stand in our place and to be the sacrifice that we could not be because we could not live in the perfection in which he lived. So God the Son is Jesus the Savior who died for the sins of the world and was resurrected again to sit with God forever in heaven. And then we have God the Spirit, which we see not for the first time in the New Testament, but we see released to a new level in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. I believe you can see the Holy Spirit alive and well and active in Genesis 1 when he is hovering over the waters of the deep in the time of creation. But at the same time, we see a new aspect of this Holy Spirit when he comes upon the people, when he comes upon the apostles in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. And he goes, and and now we speak of him living within us. And he is the the comforter and the one who empowers us, the one who gives us strength in day-to-day life. So we have these three individuals, all with three unique ways of interacting with us, the church, yet at the same time, one of the core tenets of our beliefs is that God is one. It's actually like the core tenet of, of Judaism and Christianity as well, if you go back to the Old Testament, is that our God is one. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4, that God is one. This is actually, John three sixteen might be the most quoted passage in Scripture, but Deuteronomy 6, 4 is right there because it's part of what is at the core of what it means to be a follower of God is to believe that there is one true God. And so we have these three gods that are one God. And so we have a God who in his very nature is diversity. That he looks at things, that he interacts with the world in three different ways. And that might be oversimplifying things, but we see that in the Trinity of him working with the world through these three distinct individuals. God is diversity. At the same time, God is unity that each member of the Godhead is fully unified. And we see the members of the Godhead at work within one another. Uh, A passage that I quote a lot in talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, when Paul says in Colossians that in Christ the fullness of God dwelt. We see that none, none of these three 
persons of the Trinity outrank the other one, or it's not even that idea of, of one being more powerful than the other. It's them operating in different ways, and they all belong together in a perfect unity. In John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying for his apostles as well as those who would come to believe in him through his apostles' testimony, he prays to God, let them be one as you and I are one. The unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is unlike anything else on earth. But it's also diverse. And so to bear the image of God, we must also be a diverse unity or a united diversity, whichever one of those you want to use. This was why it was so essential for God to create us the same yet different. You look at verse 27 when it says that God created us in his image. It says that God created man in his image. In his image, God created him. Male and female, God created them. I don't know about you, but I have, in my 34 years of life, I had to do some math. It's getting to that point. I had to actually think about the number before I just said it. In my 34 years of life, I have noticed something. This might be a revelation to all of you guys. You might not have ever noticed this. But in my 34 years of life, I have noticed that men and women are different. Has anybody else noticed that one? That's applause worthy, okay. Anybody else noticed that? That for the most part, we kind of view things differently? And, and really, men and women are different. We're just one version of difference. When I, when I talk about the world with my parents or my grandparents, I know that they look at the world very differently than I do. So even generationally, we're different. But it seems like, for me, the starkest difference in creation, in mankind, seems to be between man and woman. Yet God uses this for something that is, is beautiful in creating us with this difference. The first command that God gives to mankind is in Genesis 1.28 where he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. That couldn't happen unless they worked together. It's just the plain and short of it. They needed one another in order to fill God's original command. Man and woman must work together in that way. And so God created us to where we actually needed each other in order to be obedient to his command, and in order to take his message and his mission out into the world. And so again, to bear the image of God, we must be that diverse unity or that united diversity. And it's not just male and female. It's, it's ethnicity. It's, it's nationality. It's, it's language. It's differences in personality. It's differences in, 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 in generations. All of these things are so frustrating sometimes for us as people. Can I get like an understanding nod from anybody in the crowd or an amen that sometimes our differences are sometimes difficulties to us getting along with one another in every area of life where we see the world in starkly different ways? For instance, if Cheryl and I go to a wedding together, I'm going to see things happen in that wedding differently than she's going to. One, because I'm a man. Two, because I'm a pastor. And so I'm going to be looking at like the behind the scenes details. I'm going to be thinking about what, what scriptures uh, the pastor's reading, what translation he's reading. I'm going to be thinking about all of the little details and, and little things that are set up and, and kind of the, the, the framework behind the service itself and the words that are being said. That's what I'm going to focus on. 
Now, Cheryl is going to notice the way that the groom begins to tear up when the bride begins to walk down the aisle more quickly than I would have. If I noticed that, I'm a man, I don't want to show emotion, so I'm just going to brush it off, right? Uh, And I'm going to move on to thinking about the other things. She might notice some of the decorations because she's really gifted in that area. And so she might notice what the bride is wearing or some of the other things that I'm not going to be paying attention to. And we witness the same events, yet we see different elements of that same event. Now, here's the awesome thing about that. I get to experience in my own way. I get to enjoy it in my own way. But then when we talk about it in the car ride on the way home, I get to, through her eyes, see a part of that that I wouldn't have seen on my own, through my own eyes, through my own limited perspective. And that's the beauty of the difference. Sometimes that's frustrating, right? Because sometimes her perspective not only is different than mine, it's like counteracting mine. And all of us are the same way that we sometimes butt heads and that can drive us crazy when we have those counteracting philosophies or ideas and ways of doing life. But when it is done in Christian love, it is something beautiful beyond our ability to articulate in our own selves, where we see a part of the beauty of who God is that we would not see on our own. If I could only see God through my masculine eyes, I would miss something that she sees through her feminine eyes that I would never see on my own. Something beautiful, something true, and something good, and the same is true vice versa. God's idea was to create us with multiple perspectives. That's why we ask each other for help. That's why when I need some fresh ideas for something like a program that we're building here at church, or even if it's just an illustration for a service, I'm I'm going to ask her, I'm going to ask Jared or somebody else that I'm in contact with a lot that's going to look at the world differently. Cooperation is necessary to be obedient to God's original command. And it's necessary to be obedient to God's command today. We need each other. Now, we don't need each other in the way that we need God. Don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying to fully bear the image of God to a world that is in desperate need of seeing this God. We need one another. If you can imagine the image of God as a mirror, a perfect, flawless piece of glass that shoots back the exact image of whatever is standing in front of it. Imagine that's what we were created to be. We were created to be mirrors, to reflect the glory of God to the rest of the world around us. Yet, sin destroyed that. Sin broke the mirror into a million pieces, in a million different directions. One of the first results of sin was that man and woman would be divided against one another. That what God created to be a partnership suddenly becomes a competition, suddenly becomes strife. And that mirror is broken. And it's like today that each of us have a peace. And each of us can show the world around us a part of the image of God. But until we come back together, until we are unified as a church and unified as a people of God in the kingdom of God, we will never fully represent the image of God again to a world that is desperately in need of seeing and hearing from this God. Each of us bears the image of God, but we bear it most fully when we come together. And this shows us one of the main problems in our world today, and it is the problem of a single, limited perspective. 
I talked about the Gospels in my introduction and how there are four different perspectives. One thing that some people have tried to do in order to try to figure that out is they create what you call a harmony of the Gospels. Anybody have one of those? It can be beneficial in that it, it helps you see chronologically how all the stories in all four Gospels work together. But it's basically someone tried to put together all four Gospels into one singular narrative, and they called that the harmony of the Gospels. And while that could be beneficial, I would argue that that's actually less than what God intended through what we have in the scriptures today. Because it's important sometimes that I see the gospel through the eyes of Mark. Mark, who taught about the disciples being so scared, who taught about the disciples being so diminutive and and, and seeming to run away and being the last ones to finally get that Jesus is the Messiah. Other people would get it. Demon-possessed people would get it. Roman centurions would get it. But the people of God, his apostles, the ones who are around him all the time, they were the last ones to get it. And I get to see that when I read Mark's version of the gospel. If you mix in the other three, I miss that part of Mark's presentation. And if I don't have John's gospel, who kind of stands alone, is a little bit different, the most different of all the four, I miss this, this idea of God being this, this powerful force, what he calls the word, uh, the, the creative force that holds the entire world together becoming flesh. I miss that if I don't have John's perspective of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so instead of harmonizing everything, we should value each other's perspectives. We should value the other perspectives that are around us, realizing that our perspective, your perspective, is limited. Now, I know it takes some humility to say that, but I think we all need to start there. That on this side of the fall, and because of sin in the world, my perspective is limited. I'm not able to figure this out on my own. I would like to say that I could just sit down with Scripture But when I read the words of Scripture, they tell me that we need each other. They tell me that we work together, that we are a body. And I can't say to one part of the body, you are not important. And to the other part of the body, you are more important. It doesn't work that way. I need every single element. My perspective is limited. And so I have two options. I can assert that my perspective is the only right one and everybody else is wrong. Or I can, maybe for a second, consider and learn from the perspectives of others, thereby enlarging my own perspective, giving me a new sight, a new element of the image of God that I can see that I never would have seen if I would not have seen it through someone else's eyes. The problem of a singular perspective is taking center stage in our country today and in our world. Because many times when we see something happen, our first reaction to any event is to swiftly defend our own perspective and surround ourselves with voices with which we agree. I'm talking to me and hopefully I'm talking to you guys as well to where it's easy to run to our camp and it's easy to go to the perspective that I've always seen it. And if I feel like someone's disagreeing with me, I'm going to interpret it as an attack. And so I'm going to retaliate with all these other sorts of reasons why you're wrong and I'm right. Can we, for a minute, as the people of God and in the humility of Jesus Christ, can we for a second stop and think maybe just for a second that you know what? The other side might have a point. There might be something I can learn from my fellow man. There might be something I can see if I look through the eyes of another. All perspectives are needed. 
And the only way to fully bear the image of God is together. We is greater than me. I'm not who God wants me to be by myself. The only way I'm able to get there is with all of you and with the rest of the people that he has surrounded me with. And the same is true for you. One thing that I've had the opportunity to do in just a couple of different environments is to experience worship from a different culture than my own. It's happened a couple of times in my time. I haven't gone to South America or Africa or Asia or Europe. Um, The only other place I've been out of this country is Canada, and their culture is very similar to ours. But even there, I got to experience a little bit of a different side of, of worship and what that looks like in that part of the world. But I've been in Hispanic churches, I've been in Catholic churches, and there have been times during those services that something will go like a different way than I expected it to. Look, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Like that's the only kind of of worship that I've always experienced, and that's what I'm the most comfortable with. So much so that if any time anybody pops out a Baptist hymnal, hey, I'm at home, right? I'm going to know a good two-thirds of the songs in there. But here's the thing, and those of you who grew up Southern Baptist, maybe you can identify. I will know two-thirds of the songs in there, but I'm only going to know two-thirds of that song because we're going to sing the first and the last stanza. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We're not going to sing that third verse. That, that third verse is the redheaded stepchild, I guess. We're not going to sing that at all. We're just going to completely ignore it. If any of you are redheaded and stepchildren, I apologize. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, right? That, that we just completely ignore that, and that's okay because that's what we do in our culture, right? That makes sense. That's what we're comfortable with. I'm also a child of the 90s. I grew up as the praise and worship movement was really catching steam. And so that style of worship, the style of worship we have here on Sunday mornings and uh, the styles of worship, even when it's so loud that you can't hear yourself think, that's, I feel at home in that. That's not abnormal. But what is abnormal is four or five hour services, And I've had the opportunity to see one or two of those. What is abnormal to me is when people kneel during the service. What is everybody doing? And and, and me and my limited perspective can go, you know what, they're wrong. Or maybe there's something I can learn in the humility that it takes to kneel before God. Maybe seeing God from this perspective is different. And somehow extra, not better, but gives me an extra way to view God. Something beautiful that I had not witnessed on my own. Armstrong, our brother from Kenya who comes and visits with us occasionally. If you ever see videos of the way that he and the folks worship in Kenya, it doesn't look like our worship service, right? Because not only are they singing, and we just stand and sing, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But for them and and their culture, the way that they express themselves is not just through words, it's through the movement of the body, And it turns into movements that I, in my whiteness, am incapable of. You know what I'm talking about? That I don't have the rhythm to, in order to master those movements. Not only that, I feel weird and out of place. The only time I'm used to doing anything like that in the Baptist church is in vacation Bible school. And even then, I feel out of place. And again, I could say to myself in that moment, man, this is weird. I need to go back to my people that do things the way I do things. Or I could say to myself, Maybe there is something beautiful. 
about the idea of worshiping God so intently and passionately that you can't keep your feet firmly planted on the ground, that it must come out in the way that you move your body, that you can't keep it in. There is something beautiful about that idea to see it from that perspective. When I was a student at Hardin-Simmons University, an undergrad student, one of the things that they would do for people in church ministry, they would send us out occasionally in what they called ministerial education day. A ministerial education day was a chance for us to go to churches who didn't have pastors or for looking for pastors and fill the pulpit. And one Sunday morning, I got to go to Mount Zion Baptist Church in Aspermont, Texas, a little bitty town out in the middle of nowhere in western-ish Texas, north. It's, it's out there in the middle of nowhere, okay? So just take my word for it. And, and so I had no idea that Mount Zion is typically a name that's used for African-American churches. And so I went in not knowing what was going to happen, and I walked in, and there were five members They all looked much differently than I did. I was the first one there. They all walked in as I was there. They probably thought I looked much differently than they did. But you know what? Those five precious souls that were in that church today, and I don't mean any offense to any of you by this, but those those five African-American brothers and sisters that were there in that church that day, they encouraged me more as a preacher than I have ever been encouraged because they worship in a different way. If I ever made, it didn't even have to be a good point. I could read scripture and there would be, a, uh-huh, all right, come on. You know, that sort of thing, encouraging. And that ended up me being, all right, come on, let's go. You know, and there was this back and forth, this play that just doesn't exist in our culture. Not that our culture is deficient for not having that, but we just do things a different way. But I saw a part of God in the cooperation between God and his people and that small congregation of five people that I would never have seen if I would not have looked through their eyes to see in part of the image of God that I cannot see on my own. What we need to be in the church today to a world who is quick to divide itself along so many different lines is to be a group of people who would dare to try to see God through the eyes of someone who is different than us who would dare to see the eyes of God through someone whose skin is a different shade than ours, through someone who speaks a different language than ours, from someone who lives in a different part of the country and speaks with a slightly different twang than we do, from someone who defines the good old days as 40, 50 years before we would define the good old days, from someone who has a completely different worldview, from someone who grew up in a different family, from someone who, who went to a different school, lived in the city if we lived in the country, and vice versa if we lived in the country, If we could be for a moment people who would look at those not as opportunities to divide ourselves, but as opportunities to see and present God in the fullness of who he is by taking our diversity and using it to unify us. This would be the beginning of us seeing the image of God. Male and female, he created them. So open your perspective. Stop assuming you have all of the answers. Stop taking any disagreement as a personal attack and see the world through the eyes of another. That's my challenge for you this morning. The next time anything happens in the world, your world or the world at large, before you jump to the narrative that's always running through your mind, stop and consider what that same set of events would look like through the eyes of someone on the other side, through the eyes of someone from a different culture. Try for a moment to empathize. Empathy could fix so many of the problems in our world today. 
to just being willing to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Ask people who are different than you about their fears. Ask them why they believe what they believe. Don't just trash them for what they believe. Ask them why their fears, their worries, their passions, their hopes, their experiences, what put them where they are today, and then listen. Listen with an open mind and hear the voice of God. Because if you listen and you see something that you've never listened to or seen before, you might just find the image of God at work. You might just see the face of God in a new way. During our time of invitation, I encourage you to begin that process. To begin to ask God to show you where you need to enlarge your perspective. Show you your brothers and sisters in this world whom you might consider trying to see the world through their eyes, even for just a moment. And as you do that, give thanks to God for his goodness, for the beauty of this diverse creation. And if you need to pray about this or anything else, I will be down here to do that with you this morning during our time of invitation. You can also find me after the service. The altar is open if anyone would like to come and kneel and pray there. You can always certainly pray where you're at. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And you move in whatever way God is telling you to. (coughs) Father, again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for each other. God, I thank you for the fact that even within this room, all of the things that we have in common, God, that there's also differences, different perspectives and different stories. God, I thank you for those things so that we can share the way that we see you with each other and perhaps learn something from one another. God, I pray that we would take that same spirit out into the world and that, God, you would show us yourself. Show us a part of yourself that perhaps we have never seen as we try to see you through the eyes of another. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.